Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, welcome back. All right, here's where I want to start. In the last episode, I mentioned that I would be reading from Technofog's Substack regarding the Durham report, as they were going to dive deeper into it, apparently. And wouldn't you know it, but they put up a paywall. So now, of course, you can't read it. This is one of those things with Substack writers and anybody who's on Substack. It it really just grinds my gears. I don't understand why people consistently put up paywalls in order to just read someone else's opinion. It's really not that important. I mean, just put it out there for free. You'll never have to pay for my Substack. Again, it doesn't get a ton of reads, certainly not in the thousands like some of these other people, but even so. It, uh, it it doesn't make any sense. The truth should not, you shouldn't have to pay for the truth is, is my whole point. So I'm clearly not going to be reading from them anymore. I was subscribed uh, to their free articles, but I'm not even going to read those anymore. There's just no point. As far as the Durham report goes, we know exactly what it is. And, and we frankly don't really even need an analysis of it, do we? I mean, we pretty much get it. In fact, There are lines in there that indicate directly, because apparently his entire team talked with Hillary Clinton in May of 2022, and there wasn't a single peep about it. No one mentioned that in the media when it happened. No leaks of any kind, nothing. Again, there have been absolutely zero leaks from that entire building and all of those interviews regarding that report. So I find that fascinating. Again, I have no doubt that the good guys are in complete control when it comes to this. This is not an accident. This is a very giant, purposeful drip of information that's consistently coming out. And as I said earlier, there's no way that any real court in the United States could possibly handle this. It has to be a military court. It has to be a tribunal. And there have to be executions. This was treason, sedition, espionage, all of it and certainly seditious conspiracy, among other things. So there you go. That's about all of the breakdown that that I'm doing and and need to do. And there you go. That's my two cents. Okay. Education stuff. I've got a lot of things here, plenty of audio to play, and I want to wrap up the education portion of this particular episode by hitting on a subject that uh, is really problematic. You've, You've heard me mention before that when the school year comes to a close, as it is right now, of course, and during the summer, that when the cat's away, the mice will play. And that is a constant theme throughout the entire field of education. It's at the end of a school year when people are distracted, when school boards will start to approve things that they wouldn't normally in the middle of the year, and they approve them so that the work gets done in summertime when no one's looking. Specifically, I want to talk about what a school district that I have referenced numerous times before and played audio from before in Westerville, Ohio, the Westerville City School District, again, a suburb of uh, Columbus, Ohio. But they are conducting what they're calling a literature audit. And it is exactly what you probably think. It's not good. And I want you to hear it directly from the two presenters who are talking about this, because hearing the way that they talk and the things that they say is remarkably important. And these people have lost their minds. 
Again, they are interested in entering all of these libraries within all of their schools and essentially getting rid of books that they disagree with and then flooding their libraries with books that they think represent everyone. Now, we of course know that that's not what that means, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But first, let me start with this. This was making the rounds just the other day. This is from the College Fix. It is titled, Governor DeSantis Signs Law to Defund and Eliminate Universities' DEI Programs. Now, apparently, just a side note, uh, DeSantis is allegedly going to run for president and make that announcement here shortly. That's, that's the rumor anyway. I'm not sure I care. In fact, I don't. He's not going to win, and there's more things at play here than what I think he can even possibly imagine. With all of that said, this DEI thing and eliminating money that goes to these particular programs, it's a good start, but it's also indicative of not understanding how entrenched the enemy is. They will simply change the names of their programs, and they will do the thing that I've referred to, which occurs in education all of the time, which is cross-curriculum. This is where they will take the DEI programs, they'll destroy them one at a time maybe, but they'll simply infiltrate every other department and every other course of study, because technically, that's already happened. It's already happened. See, the enemy knew that the DEI programs could show up and be their own course of study, and once that happened, then the cross-curriculum thing would start to occur, and all of that degeneracy and all of that ideology would filter its way within every single department at the university level, and it certainly has made its way through every single subject at the K-12 level also. That's not going to go away. I mean, we're talking about brainwashed people who believe things that aren't real. You, you can't really get rid of that, and you certainly can't get rid of that with money. But with the elimination of these DEI programs, now what does that mean regarding the employees and all, the, all of the professors and deans and so on and so forth? Well, they'll get filtered around to other departments within colleges and universities, and they'll end up teaching particular subjects for which they probably don't have much experience, but they're still DEI crazy. And they're still indoctrinated and brainwashed with all of that ideology, which again just means that they're going to be teaching it no matter what subject they're actually teaching. You get what I'm saying? It's just, it's just gonna, it's just gonna, it's still going to be pervasive. You, you can't really get rid of it. I mean, yes, it's a good thing that there won't be degrees in this anymore, potentially. Certainly not in the state of Florida, which is a good thing. But again, the these these ticks are are too well dug in and just because the money's not going to be there potentially doesn't mean that these individuals again are going to leave these university environments if they have tenure they will stay and again they'll just find another department to teach in and then we know what'll happen after that they'll just continue with their policies so and ideologies and none of that's going to be good so there's that okay here's another one Equally as disturbing, this is from CNN, believe it or not, a Florida teacher under investigation for showing Disney movie with gay characters says she didn't know LGBTQ restriction applied to her class. Let's play the audio with this one, shall we? In three, two, one. 
fifth grade teacher in Florida says she is under investigation by the state's Department of Education after she showed her students Strange World, which is a 2022 animated Disney film that features a character who is both biracial and gay. CNN's Isabel Rosales is with us now. And Isabel, I understand you just spoke with the teacher uh, under investigation for what? Uh, that's the question right there. And the teacher has a lot of questions as to how this process is going to play out. What is next for her? Her name is Jenna Barbie. She teaches uh, fifth grade in Hernando County, which is a part of the Tampa Bay area. And she says that this all happened during the standardized testing time in early May. She played for her fifth grade class, uh, that Disney movie, Strange Worlds, because the plot of it was tied to their current lesson plan, which was the environment and ecosystems. You mentioned that it does feature a character who is biracial and gay. But the teacher, Barbie, says um, th that the movie was not sexually inappropriate in any way. And in fact, she thought she was following the policy because she had signed permission slips, signed by parents of every student in that class uh, to allow for the viewing of PG movies. And that movie was not listed as an objection. Now, we did reach out to Hernando County uh, Public Schools, and they did confirm that the Florida Department of Education is investigating Barbie after a parent uh, complained to them that this movie was inappropriate. That parent, also a school board member. Now, they sent letters to uh, the homes, to the parents, and th this, this is what they said in the letter. Yesterday, the Disney movie Strange World was shown in your child's classroom. While not the main plot of the movie, parts of the story involves a male character having and expressing feelings for another male character. In the future, this movie will not be shown. The school administration and the district's professional standards department is currently reviewing the matter to see if further corrective of action is required. So last week, Barbie actually showed up to a school board meeting um, and confronted them during the public uh, comment section. School board member Shannon Rodriguez was there, and she acknowledged that she was the one who called the Department of Education. Her daughter was in Barbie's class, and she says that that movie was inappropriate and that Barbie, she claims, did not follow policy because she did not get preemptive approval to show that specific movie. This is what Rodriguez had to say during that board meeting. It is not a teacher's job to impose their beliefs upon a child. Religious, sexual orientation, gender identity, any of the above. But allowing movies such as this assist teachers in opening a door. And please hear me. They assist teachers in opening a door for conversations that have no place in our classrooms. And here is Barbie's response. Listen. I was never trying to indoctrinate my students by showing them something that had differences in diversity. I was showing them a movie that related to our curriculum and our earth that also taught many valuable life lessons that also correlate to our Florida Best Standards. However, I understand why that parent was upset, as I had told her before, but I do not believe I made a mistake by showing this movie. And CNN has reached out to Rodriguez and the Florida Department of Education for comment. Barbie says she's received uh, considerable support from parents and, and students alike. She's trying to navigate the next step. She doesn't really know what could happen to her two weeks, about two weeks left in the school year now. Now, this might seem bland. It might seem a bit like a bland story, but there's so much here. There's so much to cover here. Okay. First of all, Let's kind of work it backwards. She's not accepting any responsibility. She didn't make a mistake, so she says. She's wrong. She did make a mistake. A variety of them, as it turns out. 
not just the one that's being reported on at face value. First of all, the business of showing movies in classrooms is an old habit. It's an old lesson. It's a thing that consistently occurs, in particular at the end of school years. Showing cartoon movies, though, is really not appropriate under any circumstance. Show them nonfiction. If she's trying to teach fifth graders about the environment, and that's somehow a lesson that coordinates with a chapter that they're in in a book or whatever the hell they're doing, don't show a Disney movie. Don't show a cartoon. Find something that is nonfiction. That's all. Do that. Just do that. I, I, I don't understand, again, how difficult that is. Now, I'll fully, under, I, I'll fully disclose this. I made mistakes in showing, in showing films, uh, in, in particular movies, in, in class. Again, it tied directly to what we were doing at the time, but it was really unnecessary. I could have just been showing them something else, or I could have been talking to them about something else. And every teacher makes this mistake. I, of course, never did anything like that, where I would show them a cartoon, let alone a cartoon that had gay characters in it. But with that aside, what it also shows is, in particular regarding her, her situation here, is that the school district, again, is interested in image protection. They hate parental complaints no matter what they are. They hate them. And, as you heard her say, this was one parent. One parent had a complaint. That's all it takes for your face to be all over CNN. If one parent complains in the business of American education, you can lose your job, you can lose everything. So you would think that they would spend a little more time paying attention to society and paying attention to what's going on and what's deemed appropriate and what isn't. But again, these individuals, number one, aren't thinking. And number two, if they even suspect that what they're about to show might be quote-unquote controversial or someone might get upset, many of them will just show it anyway because they don't care. We've seen the TikTok videos. We've, we, we've seen all the teachers testifying and saying, here's what I do with my students. I have them you know, paint rainbows on their faces, and then we all dance around holding hands because you know, it's Pride Month coming up. Pride Month. We give them rainbow flags, and we do this and we do that. Many of them just don't care. They're just going to ram it down children's throats no matter what. It just proves, though, that she's not paying attention to anything in society that individuals are going to go crazy about, and rightfully so. Because, again, it's a Disney movie. That's problematic, number one. Number two, it's a cartoon. Number three, if you're going to teach them something about the environment, just make it nonfiction. Show them something real, you know, like chemtrails. Show them a chemtrail video. But they're not going to do that because, again, we're not talking about thinking people. It also shows, I might add, the massive double standard that exists because teachers have lost their jobs and administrators have lost their jobs for doing less. And yet she's placed on administrative leave, suspended for a little while. She probably has no discipline background whatsoever, so she'll get a slap on the wrist and she'll be right back in the classroom. But again, this is, this is the slippery slope that a lot of teachers just don't pay attention to, which is why the business is lost. I mean, it's lost, as you've heard me say, for a million reasons. And we're not exactly sending our best children in society into these environments. And then, of course, the parents that consistently tolerate it also. But again, 
they're not being led appropriately by anybody within the environment. Anybody within the, the, these working environments of American K-12 schools, they're just not being led appropriately. And again, you also saw the reaction from the administration. They all circle the wagons. They all say, well, a mistake was made and, and whatever else, even though there were parent permission slips and a thousand other things. But one little, you know, one, one gay ideology gets into those videos. And again, that, that's all it takes. And I'm, I'm not saying that I disagree with the parent's complaint. I agree with the parent's complaint. Yes, they, they shouldn't be showing a cartoon where, again, there's same-sex couples showing interest in one another. My, my bigger point is the whole thing is a waste of time. The whole activity itself is a waste of time. It's lazy. It's just lazy. And again, that right there, lazy lessons prove that the individual as a teacher is just lazy. It's the end of the year, and you know they have nothing better to do. Which reminds me, um, one of the one of the schools where my niece attends, they had bouncy houses at their school the other day. In fact, my mom is visiting there and sent me some pictures, and it's just bouncy houses all over the place. They had go-karts in the parking lot, bouncy houses for days, and squirt guns hooked up to the hoses outside of the school. I mean, what, what in the hell's happening? What is happening? I understand, again, that somebody would say, Sean, you know, it's a field day. They do that kind of stuff in elementary schools all of the time, and it's the end of the year, and this is an, you know, an activity that occurs with regularity. I fully understand that. It, uh, and me, myself, again, as a, as a student and as a child, I participated in stuff like that, too. I'm just saying that in this day and age, doesn't that show such hypocrisy from the school administration on multiple levels. What happened to COVID? What happened to COVID? What happened to the forced mask wearing stuff? What happened with all those school shootings? No one concerned? No one's concerned that all of the children are just running around in the fields in and around the school with, you know, squirting each other with squirt guns and Water hoses and go kart races and bouncy houses. We're, we're we're not concerned with these so called school shootings anymore. I thought we were all supposed to be locked inside of a building all day long. What happened with that? What happened with all that manufactured panic? Is anybody wearing a mask? Are they six feet away? See, I don't want these people to get off the hook. That's really where a lot of this rage is coming from. <laughs> I just, I don't want them to get off the hook. They've abused so many people, and now they're just pretending like they didn't abuse anybody. Well, we're just going back to the bouncy houses, and we're going back to the things that we did, you know, before all those fake school shootings and the fake COVID and the rampant abuse of mask wearing and everything else. It's just nuts. What a waste of time. What a colossal waste of time. We are purposely dumbing down everybody within American K-12 school environments and university environments. It's constant. It's just constant stupidity and hypocrisy over and over again. It, uh, I don't know. It's not going away, and it's not getting better. This is interesting. Here's another one. This is actually kind of funny, and I have some audio to play with this. <laughs> this, is, this is great. This is one way to weed out the weirdos. Uh, a little unconventional, but hey. You know, uh, 
you, you sprinkle a little truth on some of these some of these teachers, and they start screaming at the top of their lungs and and threatening students. It's uh, it's rather interesting. This is from the New York Post. It is titled "Jewish Teacher Threatened Swastika Drawing Students by Saying That Quote All Jews Have Guns." And this teacher, apparently a male teacher, also claimed that he had a hit squad so to speak, and that he would have other students beat up the students who were simply drawing swastikas on their own uh, notebooks and everything, on their own belongings. It's absolutely nuts. Give this audio a listen. This, this guy's crazy. He's a, he's a certain kind of special. Seventh grade teacher in Grafton accused of threatening students now faces jail time. Police say Dave Schrader became angry after finding drawings of swastikas. Schrader allegedly told students he owns guns and would go, quote, scorched earth on them. CBS 58's Frank Healy has more from Schrader's first appearance in Ozaki County Court today. Dave Schroeder's bail is set at $10,000 on the condition that he surrender any and all firearms and dangerous weapons and he not have contact with any Grafton Public Schools staff or students except his two children. There was another incident where uh, in March where uh, it was reported that he had recruited one student to punch another student and then had referred to that individual as his enforcer. As Schroeder appeared via video call in the courtroom Monday afternoon, the state's attorney's office says Schroeder's contract had already not been renewed by the Grafton Public School District due to past inappropriate behavior. This all came before the latest incident. Just before 10 a.m. Friday, police say Schroeder was accused of telling a class he owned 17 guns, saying he would send his daughter to their homes with a baseball bat and more after discovering a student's drawing of swastikas. Schroeder was placed on leave and escorted from the John Long Middle School, according to school officials. So there's a history of very erratic and, quite frankly, inappropriate behavior, which I think escalates the bail concerns, despite the fact that he has no prior record. Schroeder's attorney, Justin Padway, says the fact that Schroeder, a veteran, a family man and a longtime teacher turned himself in shows he isn't a threat. I think the fact that he has no criminal history whatsoever, that he served our country, that he's been really teaching youth for an extensive period of time, all go in his favor. Police say Schroeder's statement to the school says he became enraged by the student's swastika drawings as the teacher is Jewish, leading to the incident. In a statement to CBS 58 News, Padway said, quote, In a time of rising anti-Semitism, he is alleged to have responded inappropriately to a highly offensive and hurtful anti-Semitic symbol that has no place in our society. We are still in the process of fully investigating this matter. Ozaki County Circuit Court Judge Paul Malloy says in the current political climate and with the constant threat of mass shootings in American schools, this case is very different than it might have been in the past. The, the time when somebody can blow off steam and, and uh, have a meltdown, I think that bird has flown a long time ago. And uh, so it, it has to be taken seriously. Schroeder's next appearance in court will be on June 22nd at 3 p.m. In Port Washington, Frank Healy, CBS 58 News. So clearly the guy's unhinged. He's a little unhinged, little sensitive. Doesn't like the swastika. You know, he'd do well as a school teacher to look up the history of the swastika, what it actually means. If memory serves, it means peace and harmony. It is not a violent symbol. Never has been. It's an ancient symbol used by countless civilizations all across the world. You'd think he'd want to learn a little bit, you know, being a school teacher and all. But nope. Let's just threaten some kids and, uh, you know, threaten to shoot them or tell everybody you have guns and you'll go crazy on them and uh, have a little hit squad where you can have certain students beat up other students because they're doing something that you don't like.
But never forget, ladies and gentlemen, the use of discretion in American K-12 education where a, a, a black student of a school board member who is an adopted son of a gay school board member can threaten to shoot girls to their faces and actually say it out loud, apparently in a classroom setting, only gets in-school suspension. But a school teacher who doesn't say it directly ends up in jail. Now, again, does the school teacher belong in jail for what he did and what he said? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. He should be arrested, making a terroristic threat, a thousand other things, I suppose. But shouldn't the student be in jail, too? That, uh, that local example that I brought up earlier this week seems like it. Seems like he should see the inside of a jail cell just for a little while, just to remind him who's really in charge. But there you go. Different strokes for different folks and uh, different standards for everybody. So there you go. Okay, next one. Also from the New York Post, believe it or not, uh, parents hit out at Waldorf School's explicit sex ed curriculum featuring graphic pictures. It says that the parents at the progressive Waldorf School of Garden City, Long Island, are angry because of a new mandatory sex education for fifth graders. And it gets rather graphic here. It says, our whole lives, quote-unquote, sex education curriculum teaches, among other things, oral and anal sex and masturbation with illustrations. It also includes a controversial book called It's Perfectly Normal that has been around since the early 80s, I think, but which parents say was originally meant for older kids and contains material too graphic for fifth graders, with one mom telling the post it made her nauseous. And if memory serves, this Waldorf School of Garden City, Long Island, has been in the it certainly been in the news before. Uh, just a brief history here: it says the Waldorf schools are based on the teachings of 19th-century philosopher Rudolf Steiner, who believed in experimental and gentle teachings rather than disciplined pedagogy. So gentle, apparently, that. Uh, it includes a book that has a chapter titled Perfectly Normal Masturbation with, uh, <laughs> I mean, my God. You know, let's ask this question, can we? Can I ask this question? What kind of a person are you and do you have to be to actually draw cartoon boys and girls masturbating? I mean, what kind of a person illustrated the book? Shouldn't we be examining their head and maybe throwing them in a padded room? They have a picture here of a, of a, of a girl and a guy going to town on themselves. I mean, what, what is this? What is this? Well, it's, you know, it's just, it's one book. It's just one book in the library, Sean. Settle down. And then they have another picture here again, everybody engaging in a field day. Ah, stupid. And then adults having sex, opposite-sex couples, same-sex couples. Oh, look, a gay couple on another page here, two, two naked gay men. Again, who illustrates this? <laughs> can, we, can we throw the illustrator off of a bridge? They're clearly not well. My God, okay. That actually leads me to this. I'll, I'll get to the literature audit right now because uh, the segue is too perfect. So just to review, Westerville, again, in Ohio, uh, northwest of Columbus, sorry, northeast of Columbus, 
again, you know, noses up in the air. They, they think uh, their poop doesn't stink. You know, that's basically the entire school district. And it's it's a conservative area, which is great. The problem is, is that when you send your children to these schools, and almost regardless of where they are, it almost doesn't matter what the demographic or voting demographic is in the area. These ideologies will make their way in all of the time, all of the time. And you've heard me say this about their uh, their school board and certainly their their board meetings before. They are not attended by anybody who actually comes up to the lectern and speaks any real concerns. So every single time when, when it comes to the public comments section, no one talks. And they're openly again inviting these individuals in from the district to provide their two cents and their ideologies and what they want to see happen and they want the school board to vote on particular things. So that's that's what this basically is right here. And, and you're going to hear directly from these people. Just to review very quickly, though, again, from this board, um, one of the members, again, I have my own personal Deadpool with these individuals from the jabs. Uh, the one who I have is being the number one to, to bite the dust, basically. She is still coughing. She's not wearing a mask. Uh, a Jennifer Altman. She has to be at least triple jabbed. And uh, their superintendent is on the way out. And again, he's going to be an administrator, I believe, at Columbus State. And he's getting out, I think, just in time because this school district is basically going full gay pedal to the floor, whether people know it or not. And again, these these board meetings, even on YouTube, don't get many views whatsoever. I'm shocked that any parents actually think that they know what's going on in these school districts. It's astounding to me. Um, okay, I'm going to play this audio. You're going to hear a little bit of this. I'll bounce in and out. Again, this is not the, the reason I'm playing this is not because I, I know the school district and how crazy these people are, but this is one of those things, again, that's occurring all over the nation. They're making these small little inroads. They're, they're selling their programs to make it sound like it's fair and it's equitable and we need more diversity. And as we all know, that means getting rid of white people. I mean, let's just say it. And with this literature audit that these individuals plan on doing, again, their plan is to enter every single school within the district, and there are many of them. They have, I believe, three high schools, if memory serves. It's a big school district one of the largest in Ohio. Um, but they're going to enter all of the libraries and they're basically going to get rid of everything that they don't like. And they're going to sit down again on a panel of people who, as we can guess, are all going to be like-minded. These are going to be like-minded, hard left-wing, staunch bigots and racists, most likely. That's going to be who's, who's going to be there. And they're going to get rid of books, you know, like from George Washington, probably, and Thomas Jefferson. And they're going to eliminate these because, you know, they were slave owners. I mean, this is what's happening. Now, the irony, of course, is that the school library is rarely, if ever, attended by the students within a school building. Most students don't go to the library. Most students don't check books out at the library. They read off of their cell phones. They stare at their cell phones all day long. They're typically doing that, which is why, again, <laughs> this is hilarious, that school teachers actually, in particular elementary school teachers, have to actually take time out of their classroom instruction 
to have their students line up and then take a trip to the library because they know that students won't go there willfully. So what do they do? They line them all up and they take them into the library and then they'll take them right to the gay section, right past the gay bookshelves. Oh, look, Timmy has two daddies and uh, Sally has two mommies and blah, 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 blah. And it'll all be there. And they'll, sh they'll shove it right in their faces because, again, they want them to see it. This is called grooming. That's exactly what this is. And you're going to hear, again, the tones of voices from the people giving the presentation. And then the, the, there's a question and answer session where the school, the school board members themselves start to ask questions. And they go, well, I just, I just think this is great. I just think this is a great opportunity for us to be more equitable and, and, and more fair. They have no idea what they're supporting. All of these individuals that you're going to hear now are exactly what Karl Marx and Frederick Engels were referring to when they were referring to the useful idiots. It's these people. They have no idea what they're really doing. It's astounding. So allow me to play this. And again, I will bounce in and out a little bit as you give this a listen. If you want your blood pressure to go up, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. I, uh, yeah, no, no need to exercise today. Just give this a listen in three, two, one. Okay, up next, we have reports 4.1, the equity update, and I would like to invite Mrs. Simmons to the podium. Ms. Simmons. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, as she said, my name is Anitra Simmons, and this is my colleague, Tree Reeves. Um, I'm the equity coordinator for the district, and she is the equity specialist. And tonight, we're going to be providing you with a brief overview of the equity work that has occurred in our district this school year. So first, we're going to start by looking at the work done at the building level for grades pre-K through 12. Then we're going to move to the work that we've done at the district level. Then we're going to talk about our partnership and how our partners have supported us this year in our equity work and moving that forward. And then we're going to move on to uh, looking forward to the next year and things that we want to try to do there. So at the building level, each building pre-K through 12 was asked to establish smart equity goals for their building. Those goals were focused on access, discipline, student achievement, and a sense of belonging. Before the school year began, a meeting was held to discuss the building progress from last year. And based on these conversations, goals for this year were developed and face-to-face -face meetings were held to monitor progress and to determine how best we could support building principals and equity facilitators in their work. During the meeting, we discussed the midway point of progress and how we could support their work in the building. We're going to conclude our year-end conversations and then we'll have an actual goal completing review form that will be due for their final progress on May 25th, 2023, where they'll share the completion of all of the work that they've done this year. Good evening. As Anitra said, my name is Tree Reeves, um, Educational Equity Specialist. Every school was given autonomy as to how they wanted to reach their equity goals in their individual schools. Some schools decided to focus on increasing literature resources for staff and students. Other schools focused on adding student voice to the equity work in the building and added student organizations to help lead this work in the building. Finally, schools added artifacts to the school to help students feel connected and a sense of belonging in the buildings. The next few slides show examples of the work that has been done this year. Okay, I'm going to stop it there briefly for just a second. First of all, two black women, just painting the picture here. Um, 
their use of the word equity again, they're the equity coordinators. That alone is beyond problematic. This, this This is disgusting. You cannot fix any of this. It's too pervasive within American K-12 schools. It isn't going anywhere. It's made its arrival. It's been here for quite some time. Again, we're talking fifth gear pedal to the floor. You can't get rid of this because now if you get rid of it, you're not being equitable. Do you see the trap? That's the trap here. Once it's in, And once you're in fifth gear, pedal to the floor, equity, diversity, and inclusion, you can't back off of it nor eliminate it because now you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're an anti-Semite. And then, of course, all of the name-calling occurs, and that's all they have is just screeching and name-calling. Again, this is is a massive, massive problem. Um, They also, of course, groom children into believing that they're oppressed by having children associate with these particular groups. And they recruit children to help make decisions about the kinds of books and the kinds of games and the kinds of programs that they think are diverse, equitable, and inclusive. That's also a grooming tactic. That's what it is. You're bringing in the victims to basically say, okay, victims, what would you like to actually see with this within this environment that will ultimately just become another giant distraction taking you away from anything that's truthful as we throw you down the rabbit hole of fiction and fake oppression and all of this other stuff and they continue here uh they they go through all of their different schools and what they're doing and equity work with the with the uh, Charrington Elementary School and they have all these bullet points of all these different groups and clubs and activities that they do. It's disgusting, and it continues. So here we go. And I wish we had time to highlight all the schools, but you're going to receive a sample. So we have Charrington, and then Hanby, Emerson, Heritage, and Blendon Middle School. And since we're on the slide with Blendon, I wanted to show you an example of one of those artifacts that took place at Blendon Middle School. The National Council of Teachers of English has hosted the longest running literature, diverse literature um, workshop across the country. It is a national event and it's called the African American Read-In. It's an opportunity for children and their families to engage in a morning of literacy and joy and experience diverse and multicultural literature. Um, I have been blessed to partner with a teacher named Mrs. Lee Rutherford um, in bringing this to Westerville City Schools four years in a row. Unfortunately, two were virtual, one in person. But I must tell you that this year, the greatest success is we went from normally 25 to 30 students represented. This year, we had over 100. Here is the beautiful artifact that was created by the families of Westerville City Schools. The theme this year was the quilt, um, quilting and how we are all woven together. Oh, for no God's sake. No matter our sakes. culture, our heritage, our ethnicity, we all make a beautiful tapestry together. 
decided to write a theme that represented their family. I can't read them all, but one of them says, love renews us. Jesus. Another family wrote, we sing together. And another family wrote, it's not love. It's not a heart unless it has love in it. So that's an example of families doing equity work together and enjoying and celebrating inclusion. There's Westerville South and Central. We used a similar approach to determine the needs of support at the district level. In the beginning, we met with district administrators from the following departments, Human Resources, Department of English Learners, Mental Health and Wellness, Curriculum and Instruction, Executive Leadership, and the RESA program, and RESA stands for Resident Educator Summative Assessment. So these are our um, teachers who are new to the profession, and we met with that program administrator. Thank you. And now Anitra will talk about the types of support. Bouncing in yet again. Quilting, ladies and gentlemen, quilting. Let's quilt our feelings. We'll stitch them on patches and then we'll stitch them all together and sew them all together into a giant quilt because, you know, we can't read. The literacy rate in, in the United States among school children is terrible. It's rock bottom. Over 50% cannot read at a sixth grade level, and we wonder why. Because we're playing games, we have bouncy houses, we're making quilts, we're screwing around in school. We're not teaching anybody to read. And the irony of them again, as they propose here in a moment, engaging in their literature audit to get rid of the books that, you know, they don't like and inject all of the weird books that they enjoy. None of that's going to matter because they're not reading anyway. Do you see the different dimensions of stupidity that's taking place here? It's, it's beyond mind-numbing. Th these people, I'm sorry, they are the dumbest that society has to offer. You've, you've heard me po point this out too. After the, the, you know, the, the convid pandemic crap, after all of that rampant child abuse, it would take a really certain kind of stupid, a real special kind of dumb, in order to want to be a school teacher after watching what occurred. You have to be completely void of morals, values, emotion, a conscience, all of these things that would hopefully send someone on the right path through life. What kind of a person now wants to be a school teacher? Is it a good kind of person? Are they hiring good people, morally sound people who are unjabbed and against the mask and against all of this nonsense? Or are they hiring people because the only people who want to be school teachers now are the most immoral that society has to offer? It blows me away. All of this waste of time blows me away. In the time you're spending making a useless, stupid quilt, how about you just read a book? They shouldn't be making quilts in school. They should be reading. And they shouldn't be reading gay books, like the one I brought up earlier, 
at the old Waldorf school, they should be reading nonfiction all of the time. Again, I, I, I wonder if their literature audit is going to include Ida B. Wells. You know, if they're interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I wonder if there's going to be some Malcolm X books in there talking about Jewish control of the media and how that's the problem and all of that. I mean, my God. Uh, I told you. See, I told you. No need to exercise today. This will get your blood pressure up. Uh, they have way more to say. Let's get back to it, shall we? So this is the gamut of support that we provided this year. Um, first, we provided PD for our equity facilitators that was focused on creating a culture and a sense of belonging so that everyone feels seen, valued, heard, and celebrated. We also provided them with PD around how to use data to help to improve and move their equity for work forward in their buildings. And they were also given time to collaborate with one another to share best practices and to share strategies and ideas that were working for them in their buildings. We also provided support to our elementary and secondary principals at their meetings. Training was provided district-wide on how to support our, our LGBTQ plus students. We also provided training at WE Day for our resident educators, our new administrators, our teachers, and classified staff on Be the Change. Classified administrators were also trained to be able to be able to be able to be facilitators for Be the Change for classified staff. Three sessions were actually facilitated by classified administrators on We Day to train the classified staff in the first two modules of Be the Change. We also met with high school and middle school students to conduct focus groups. The focus groups allowed the opportunity for students to share their voice and concerns regarding things pertaining to their schools. I'm bouncing in very quickly again. You can't fix this. It's just these ticks are too dug in. They're too dug in. This isn't going anywhere. Equity facilitators they have, professional development, including people who are new to the profession. So every single new school teacher in this entire school district goes through their diversity, equity, and inclusion training. Just another brainwashing program to filter them through before they even end up in a classroom. Honest to God, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even matter if someone with my credentials showed up, I would still have to take all of this training. That's reason alone to never enter the business ever, ever, for any reason. And then they continue to say that they have student support. Again, they listen to the students' complaints, yelling about how they're the victim, and somebody said a bad word to me, oh, what do I do? And then they have a district equity team, which, of course, these two nitwits are part of, and then book study. And that's where it's going to get interesting also. Allow me to continue. Here we go. So we met with our building leaders during these goal conversations at the beginning of the year with middle school principals. Several of them shared that they would like to do something more to support the boys in their building. We were able to use our equity funds to support groups at each middle school. The boys and girls groups were facilitated by Tim Brown and Yvonne Thornton at each middle school. The boys group was highlighted on the news. And Mr. Brown partnered with Westerville North and Westerville South to have peer mentors as part of the group model. The district equity team was reestablished this year. 
Advocacy teams were developed in each of the following areas. Budget and finance, HR, curriculum and instruction, student well-being, discipline, family and community engagement, and specialized populations. Each team established a goal for their work this year, and many of the goals focused on analyzing data to determine the needs to inform how to move forward. We held a DET stakeholder meeting in January where goals, progress, and plans were shared with stakeholders. Second semester, we facilitated a book study on Zaretta Hammond's culturally responsive teaching and the brain, promoting authentic engagement and rigor among culturally and linguistically diverse students. There were 126 educators across grades K through 12 who participated in this course. Participants engaged in conversation about the importance of understanding a student's culture and how it can be used to assist learners in the classroom. The text also explored brain theory and the connection to culture. CEUs were offered as an option for participating if you weren't interested in receiving college credit with Muskingum University. And now Tree's going to talk with us about our partnerships. Um, one of our goals was to increase our own knowledge of best practices in equity work. So we attended several workshops and conferences. Then we shared those new insights and strategies with building leaders, teachers, and our equity facilitators. One partner we worked with was The Ohio State University. They facilitated a program called Leading Anti-Racism Change Collaborative where we collaborated with other school districts and were taught by professors in the field regarding best practices. And there it is. There it is. There's the university connection. Ohio State University. Super hard left, always has been. I've played audio from professors at Ohio State on this show before, and I guarantee that one of the individuals who spoke to these people and, again, furthered their brainwashing because, again, they're running through all these professional development programs, quote-unquote. It's just more brainwashing. One of the individuals who works at Ohio State University is Congressman Jeffries, twin brother. Now, you know Congressman Jeffries. He's the minority leader in the House. He's the guy who falsely impeached Donald Trump. He should be executed because, well, sedition is a crime, and so is treason. No one's above the law. Remember that? No one is above the law. And he was always lecturing everybody. He's that guy. That guy has a twin brother. And his twin brother is a professor in the education department, if memory serves, uh, at Ohio State University. I don't know if that's the exact department he's in, but I, I believe that's the case. Either way, again, too entrenched. They're too entrenched. If you have Ohio State University calling the shots for a local school district, it's game over. It's game over. School board members, I'm telling you, this uh, grinds my gears. School board members, when they take over their school boards, okay, if, if patriot-minded individuals are actually wanting to do this, what they have to do is, is they have to disassociate on day one they have to vote to disassociate with any and all universities. That's a big deal, and it has to happen. And if you have to provide a rationale to the public as to why you're doing that, ladies and gentlemen, all you have to do is tell them the truth. 
These are Marxist institutions. We are not going to make our local school district a Marxist institution. Under no circumstance are we going to accept student teachers in our school district any longer from any of the surrounding universities, certainly not Ohio State. And then that's it. There will always be other schools out there that Ohio State and schools like it can send their student teachers to to observe and whatever else. But public schools, private charter, whatever, they do not have to accept student teachers from these kinds of institutions. That's a, that's a, that's a thing that should exist. I'm, I'm certain it does somewhere. It would be mathematically impossible for it not to. But school districts, again, who are patriot-minded and interested in completely taking back complete control, that's one of the moves that, has to make, that, that they have to make. And they have to make it again on day one. We're done with the college and university indoctrination bullshit. It's over. It's gone. We are no longer associating with surrounding colleges and universities. If you want a student teach, go somewhere else. That's it. It could get done that quickly. There's no law, to my knowledge, that says that a public school has to accept university students to student teach. But Unfortunately, they just think that it's one of those things that always has to be in place. But this is the indoctrination slide, so to speak. This is the chain that this is the chain of influence. It's up and down, it's all connected. There's no escaping it. So I'll allow them to continue and then the QA session with the board members comes up and again, it's a special kind of stupid. Here we go. We're able to incorporate some of the tools and strategies to enhance our work. Those who facilitated the professional development at the the collaborative were able to provide professional development to our equity facilitators around how to use data to drive the work forward. And now Anitra is going to tell us about looking forward. So we've had some momentum this year, and we look to continue the momentum going forward. There are a few things that we would like to focus on next year. First, we want to ensure alignment between the equity work and the portrait of a graduate. We want to make sure that every staff member is able to see equity in every piece of the portrait. Next, we want to analyze the structure that is in place within buildings to support the equity work. We want to make sure that everyone has a solid foundation, which consists of an admin lead, an equity facilitator, and an equity team of five to seven people. Next, we would also like to incorporate review of data as part of this structure for the equity team. Our equity facilitators have been trained on using data, and that has been a focus of our PD this year. The building equity team could have three different teams that analyze data in the areas of behavior, discipline, and attendance on a consistent basis. The data could then be shared with staff to identify recommendations for areas that could be improved. We also want to continue to develop our comprehensive PD program for our equity facilitators. There are tools and strategies that would assist them in continuing to move the work forward. We want to make sure that we are equipping them to effectively do this work within their buildings. Lastly, we want to provide PD opportunities for Westerville staff to continue engaging in conversations about matters of equity. We will host another book study and offer EQ, Equity Empowerment and engagement, which will be courses aligned with our equity framework, courses about cultural mindset, 
student-centered learning, and family and community engagement. Thank you for allowing us to share with you what we have been able to accomplish this year. We appreciate your support and look forward to continuing this work in the future. Are there any questions at this time? Um, thank you. And that quilt is beautiful. And I've been to the read-in and it was really lovely when I went. So thank you for doing that. Um, you guys talked about a lot of really great things that happen in the school district and also um, best practices from OSU. I'm wondering how is that shared amongst schools? And is there kind of like, um, I don't know, a suite, of, a menu that, you know, for some consistency across schools of things that people can pick and choose and do? So the best practices that we've learned from Ohio State, so far what we've tried to do is infuse them into our equity facilitator meetings um, because we believe that if we start with them, then they can bring it to their building and then it can help to push it out that way. So we're starting with our equity facilitators, but we are absolutely open um, and we are constantly collaborating with principals about what are, what are the needs for your building? What do you need? And we support them in that way. So any of the best practices that we have learned from Ohio State, we are more than willing to use those within the buildings as well. We have also used one of the tools called an equity gap analysis tool. We use that at our district equity team meeting to be able to look at our practices within the district across the board to see where, where there were, if there were any gaps and, and identify things that we could do to, to fix those holes that we saw. Having all of that information, pushing down the best practices and then pushing out. And I know you talked about SMART goals for each of the buildings. Mm -hmm. How does all of that roll up into a larger plan? Or is there a larger plan with SMART goals? And, and then how, I'm sorry, this is, I'm just really curious. How does it get um, looked at to see how successful we're being overall mm -hmm. in the district? So in terms of progress monitoring, we monitor throughout the entire year. We have actual conversations with our building leaders and our equity facilitators about their goals, specifically uh, beginning, middle, and end of the year, but we're always in constant conversation with them. If they need anything, we contact them for support um, in terms of progress monitoring the goals, and we're always having conversations with our equity facilitators as well about their needs and how we can support them in the work um, that they are doing in the building. So does that all then roll up into a larger plan? So every building has autonomy in terms of their goals. And so the goals are aligned, um, like I said, with the discipline, the access to student achievement um, and the sense of belonging. So they're all aligned. But uh, can you give me a little more information about what do you mean by the larger plan? Yes. So I'm curious if um, like there's an overall arching plan for making sure that there's, you talked about equity throughout all of the various, uh -huh. um, uh, what is it I'm looking for, like all the various touch points, mm -hmm. and, you know, throughout the school district. And so I'm stopping it again. I, I understand this is mind numbing. I fully get it. It's mind numbing. Trust me. I, I mean, I have a splitting headache right now. These people use these words and they don't even know what they're saying. I mean, she's even confused asking the question because it's all pretend. All of it's pretend. They might as well be talking about, again, that Disney movie from earlier. It's just pretend. None of it means anything. And then again, one of the equity coordinators, again, these are paid employees. They make money. Someone pays them. It's the school district. 
The school district has this position and they waste money on these individuals because they think that all of this needs to exist. She's asked the question, what's the big picture here? What's the end game? What's the end goal? They don't know. Well, what do you mean by big picture? What, what do you mean? They have no clue. Ultimately, we know what, what they're interested in. They want some kind of a race war. They want to perpetuate racism all the way to the bank so that they keep making money by perpetuating things that don't exist. It's, it's that simple. They won't win until there's no more white people and everything in the libraries are gay. That's about it. Until everybody can't read. That's, that's the end game for them. That's their strategy. Because once the con job is, is, is over with and everybody's figured it out, th these two individuals are out of a job. They're unemployed. Again, I'm not sure what's worse on a resume, although I'm sure they'll find work, but if they were to actually lose their job within the district at some point, but what's more really worthless on a resume, a gender study degree or the fact that you were the equity coordinator of a school district? It's full-blown retarded. And again, the people asking the questions don't even know what they're asking. I'm wondering if there's an overall arching plan where there's some goals that are laid out in those um, buildings, you know, take, see those overall arching mm -hmm. goals and then go back and take those and develop their own individual plans based on the needs within the building. So those are the equity goals themselves. Those are based on the building need. So the buildings are developing the goals according to the needs for their building. What I might add there is um, go back several years ago um, when this work began and when Cynthia was here and there was um, a document put together, a framework, 10 equity goals. Mm -hmm. So that's always been the driver and all the, all the components you're hearing tonight about what we're working on all fall under that overarching piece. I mean, I think where we're, where we're really, and I think COVID obviously <coughs> didn't wave some of this, this is about capacity building and culture. Right and a willingness to and understanding. I think that's where a lot of a lot of what is moving forward as we try and get to more um, quantifiable data related to student performance. I think is, is part of what we're going to be going into. But I would say that larger framework would serve as kind of the umbrella of the work we're doing. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I want to have a question about the moving forward piece and the portrait of a graduate work, and you know, um, bringing the equity work into align with portrait of a graduate and. Um, I really appreciate wanting to bring those things together, and I'm wondering um, what you think some first steps mm -hmm. are in that particular work. So some first steps. We, we've kind of started to talk about this um, just in terms of our, uh, sorry, E-Cubed um, Institute Academy that we're going to be having and, and really trying to uh, focus on the student-centered learning piece. Um, so one of the pieces with the equity work is making sure you're meeting the needs of all of the students that you're serving. And so when you think about student-centered learning, uh, that really connects uh, to, to the equity piece as well, um, as well as making sure that we are providing all of our students, which we're stretching them, we're making them, um, giving them the ability to critical think, giving them the ability to problem solve, giving them the ability to communicate are all pieces that also tie into the equity work, making sure that we're giving all of our students everything that they need to be successful. Uh, thank you, because I mean, you could break it into a thousand components, but there's, there's what we teach, right? And then there's how. Mm -hmm. 
And in the how piece, there can so often be unintentional inequity, right? So I appreciate that that how piece is getting some attention and um, really looking forward to seeing what that looks like at different levels. Yes. Right? Um, Not the same in first grade as 12th. Right. Um, so appreciate that. And then my my other question was just if you could give us um, an example. So clearly, you know, building equity teams are have that autonomy, you know, um, to set their own goals and so on. But I'm just wondering if you could give us an example of how maybe the building work and the district work connect. Mm-hmm. That would be helpful for me to picture those two pieces okay. and how they come together. So one of the focuses uh, for some buildings was really to look at their discipline data and really to talk about, you know, what trends or patterns they noticed in their data. We also had a discipline team on the district equity team as well that was looking at data that was trying to uh, research kind of some best practices around, um, you know, how to make strides um, in any areas where there were trends and patterns. So that's one kind of connection. Um, We also had our community engagement um, where people were having, um, creating goals around sense of belonging and making sure that communities felt like they were a part of the building. And so um, our community engagement team on the district level created was creating a resource of things that could be used to help to bring that connection, help to bring that sense of belonging um, for our buildings across, across the whole. So those are just two examples of how we're bridging what the buildings are doing with the district work. Thank you, because I think that's so important. There's so much good work building teams come up with, right? Mm-hmm. And they do. And then how are we, how can we share that across? So I appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely. I would just like to thank you uh, for continuing the legacy of great work uh, that our district is doing in this area. Um, and um, also want to thank um, the Army of uh, Equity uh, facilitators in our buildings and volunteers that become part of the equity teams in the buildings. We truly appreciate all of uh, the work uh, that they volunteer and contribute to the process. Um, I would also like to uh, thank you and just hit once again a couple of what I think are some of the strengths uh, of um, the work that I heard you share this evening. Uh, one being the flexibility um, in the work that we are doing so that um, it's not a one necessarily a one size fits all, mm-hmm. but you've actually given the buildings the flexibility to be able to adapt and adjust to the needs of the students that are a part of their learning community. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for continuing that. Um, and I really want to thank you um, for transitioning to uh, and incorporating data mm-hmm. um, into the equity process. Um, I think a lot of times in this kind of work, um, the data gets lost. Um, uh, but thank you for um, bringing a quantitative approach as well as a qualitative approach um, to this work. Uh, so, so thank you so much for the work that, you're, uh, that you've done and look forward um, to, to what the future holds for us in this area. Thank you. Following up on what Vaughn had to say, um, Thank you. As what as everyone said, thank you so much. You phone was talking about the flexibility. I also want to thank you for um, holding fast to that. It is very easy to let that go in a um, 
fervent effort to show uh, progress across areas. It's easy to let go of the flexibility that is inherently necessary to make sure that that progress is embedded. Mm -hmm. So you know, the way I look at it is, in many ways, that flexibility is a key underpinning and foundation of equity itself. So I thank you very much for that, both of you and everyone who's engaged in the work. Vaughn also mentioned data, and that was what I wanted to talk about too. I wondered if you could give a little information on uh, the data that you are using to analyze. It's one thing to say we analyze data, it's another thing altogether to feel very comfortable that the data sources we've identified are actually going to get us to where we need to go. Absolutely. So we've been looking at um, our ready data uh, for our students in elementary and middle school as well um, in math and reading. We've also been looking at um, discipline data. We've been looking at panorama data to be able to, to look at their sense of belonging from pre to post um, to, to figure that out. So those are just kind of three um, data sources that we've been looking at um, right now. We've also looked at APIB CCP representation um, as Okay, just very quickly, and trust me, this wraps up. I know it's I know it's getting exhausting, and has been. Uh, the the last woman who spoke, one of the female board member, she doesn't sound so good, does she? She doesn't sound so good. And again, I've seen her before. She's normally pretty peppy and pretty healthy. I mean, she's a bigger woman, but she doesn't sound very good. Uh, the woman who spoke before her, she's the one in my Deadpool. Again, you know, joking aside. Uh, she's the one who's the chronic cougher, and you he and you heard her just then just hack up a lung. Uh, she's not well either. These people are jabbed to the bone, all of them. Again, they were the they were the mask pushers. They were they were they were the the jab pushers. The whole thing. Y you can hear it. You can just hear it in their voices, and and you can see it if you're looking at their faces. They have no idea what what's going on. Nothing. This is the curse of living in the matrix. It is astounding, isn't it? It's astounding to not live in the matrix and you can see what's going on at face value, and yet the people you're looking at have absolutely no clue what's going on. But don't worry, everybody. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is the most pressing issue. Not the fact that they've wiped out their immune systems and they're not going to be around much longer. Through our lead hire program, we've looked at those data sources as well. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, another thank you for you is uh, something that um, I raised and was annoying about when we first began this journey, um, which is the idea to look at equity broadly and to identify beyond uh, the initial layers that we know exist okay. and to really look more deeply into any inequities that may exist beyond what we think we see. And I thank you for that work very, very much. That's also difficult to do. Thank you for that. Last question I have for you is, what have you found most challenging this year? <laughs> I think with any, you know, with any work, I think we're all, I'm sorry, we're all in different places, right? You have some people who are ready to go. You have some people who are not so sure and you have some people who are resistant. And so I think the big thing is how do you move all groups forward in a manner that you still achieve progress? Um, and so that's what we've really been striving to do. And I think, you know, just kind of being able to manage those three groups and figure those, figure out what each group needs is has been our biggest challenge this year, but we've done it. Um, and so we're really proud of the work that we've been able to do.
I'm very proud too. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Okay, I guess I'm last. Um, tell us a little bit about your literature audit. So what did you find and what kind of data did you gather? Here it comes. Yes. Give Anitra a, a minute to... <laughs> Um, the literature audit was a um, was a tool that schools used to evaluate what was in the classroom and also in their libraries, in their school libraries. So they looked at, do the books on the shelf match the students in the seats? Do they mirror our diverse and beautiful school district? Then they also looked at it for quality, making sure that um, it was quality literature, um, free of negative stereotypes or biases or things like that that might skew something or play into a narrative that we don't want to have about a group of people or a culture of people. They also looked at it to make sure it exposed the children to great vocabulary. So that was really what the literature audit was about. What's beautiful about that type of journey and that type of work is that everybody can look at it from that lens and therefore everybody plays a part in moving forward equity in their building. So I did notice this year as people applied for grants and need there was a lot of uh, requests for different types of books than we've seen in the past. So I'm just wondering if maybe that had an impact on it just having people look at it. Um, so it's just one thing. I've got more questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I would um, agree with that. That was what spurred it on when um, when everybody did that evaluation. And we talked about how important data is. Once you look at the numbers and you're looking and you're saying, we have no books that paint um, uh, some of our families that come from other co countries in a light that's not a deficit model. Just they're the refugee. They had to come here. We had to save them. When they looked at that and said, hey, we need something that celebrates all the things that they bring to enrich America, then it spurs teachers on to apply for those grants. Sure. Enrichment, ladies and gentlemen, enrichment. We're all enriching ourselves to the point of complete illiteracy. Enrichment. Bring in the refugees, bring them all in, and we need a book about it, a book that shows all these refugees. How about we have a book then that shows little girls at the border being raped by multiple people? I mean, if it's about enrichment, am I right? Let's just, let's just tell the truth. Let's have that same illustrator from the earlier book who had absolutely no problem drawing people of all ages and races, masturbating. Instead of that, why don't we hire that illustrator to make sure that they can now draw little girls being raped at the border by countless people, you know, refugees. Because, again, it's about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, come on, everybody. Isn't this what we're all supposed to be supporting? These are the useful idiots. End of story. The useful idiots, these people make money. And they're entrenched, and they're not going away. Just a couple more comments here on their end, and then I will wrap that up. So the panorama dig for data, what you, you talked about a little bit. Can you give us a little bit more what you were looking for, what you got out of it? I could start. And, okay. okay, you jump in. 
We were looking for that sense of belonging. Do students feel good in their space? Do they feel safe? Do they feel that they can achieve anything? How are they feeling about school, about themselves? Do they feel as if their culture is being celebrated? Um, those type of things, because we know that all learning takes place within a cultural lens. We're not um, devoid of that. And so when students feel like they belong and they're heard and they're seen, it um, lowers any type of effective filter so that they can achieve and be successful in school. I need to add anything? The only other thing I would add is that we also used uh, some of the panorama data to create um, a PD presentation for an actual school in the district because they were really having some challenges with students feeling like they belong, students connecting. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that they could see the lens of, okay, this is how they're feeling, right? And we have to honor their voices and we have to honor how they're feeling um, and being able to move it forward from there so we could determine, okay, what strategies do we need to do um, to make sure that we're making these connections with, with our students? So I want to tell you both, I do not have a great memory. So when we first received this, I went back and started at the beginning. So in 2020, Dr. Kellogg, you gave us those 10 points, right? And um, two of them really spoke to me. So continue to analyze academic data, discipline processes, procedures, and data to identify the district and village growth areas and blind spots regarding equity. And I think that's what you were talking about, Nancy, those pieces that we don't see, right? Mm -hmm. And then number three, which I think is super important, revitalize and support the goal of the district in building equity teams to address disparities and equities in achievement, discipline, engagement, social, emotional well-being for students of color and across all populations. So I kind of started there, like where, where are we at there? Um, and looked around on the website of all the stuff you had, went back to the slideshow and I was happy to see, um, and I think this is a heritage, disability awareness. Mm -hmm. So one place that we probably don't focus as much on after hearing your presentation, I really didn't hear anything about that. I would love as we move forward to remember those other pieces. And I did hear you mention LGBTQ, but what are we doing for that community right now? How are we making them feel seen, valued, and heard? Mm -hmm. Because in if you look at the slides, there's no representation there. Mm -hmm. So I think in regards to that, we really just started with the professional development for um, for the staff, but there are also uh, GSAs in buildings that are supporting um, the, our LGBTQ plus students. Um, and also in terms of the disability piece as well, part of the district equity team this year for the first time, we've added the specialized populations group. And what they do is they really look at the data for um, special education students, ESL students, uh, gifted, all those other populations that aren't often um, uh, talked about or discussed. And so that's one way we've started to incorporate that those things um, into our equity work right now. And I, I truly appreciate all that you've done. I think you've done a you know, a nice job putting this on the map. I would just really highly recommend it. It's so important for everyone to be able to see themselves, especially when we're talking about equity for all going forward. So I'll be excited to see what happens with the portrait of a graduate and how all of these populations can be shown next year. That was the board president. She's, she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, clearly. 
ladies and gentlemen, again, there there was a lot there. I'm not going to play anymore because that's the end of their presentation. In summary, you can't fix this. You can't. This is becoming more and more entrenched with every passing day and every passing month, semester, and year. This is in every school district across the board. They receive their professional development from whack job leftist professors at the university level. They forfeit any individuality whatsoever. And you also heard right there in that last clip that they love making, of course, everything gay and everybody has to be represented. We have to have all the gay stuff thrown right in our face. But what they also want really is they're teaching their feelings as facts. And then the teaching of their feelings and the teaching of other people's feelings becomes everyone's profession. I don't have the words to describe what a problem that is. Yes, it's grooming, without a doubt. It's also brainwashing. The word indoctrination doesn't do it justice. I wish that people who talk about the profession of education and all that it is would use the word brainwashing. And brainwashing is psychological abuse. It's abuse. That's what's happening here on a wide industrialized scale. So much so, and they even admitted it, that they enter these buildings and they start talking with students about their feelings and how they're feeling and and whatever else. They don't understand that this is also a Bolshevik tactic to some extent, because ultimately what will happen is more students will end up, as a result of all of these programs, quote unquote, they will end up on special education paperwork. They will get put on that special education conveyor belt right into the meat grinder of special education. And once they're through that meat grinder and on that conveyor belt, they never get off. It's next to impossible to get off. And once they're on, what does that mean for everybody else in the building? It means you need more special education certified teachers. It means you have more special education students in the building which means the district receives more money. This is one of the ways that they're attempting to remain solvent is by making, creating, out of thin air, more special education students when there aren't any. That's it. Again, they're creating sex discussions when there don't need to be any. They're creating race division when there doesn't need to be any. They're they're perpetuating all of these problems themselves. You cannot fix this. They are too far gone. When the brainwashed are running the entire operation, it's game over. And it's game over. I, I don't know what else to say. I wanted you to hear that because I want you to know that that's happening everywhere. That's the state of affairs. Everybody's, everybody's teaching their feelings as their profession now. Not facts. No, no, no. Not that. It's feelings. And they're always looking for a way to integrate anything they can into their feeling soup and their giant bowl of soup so that they feel better about what they're doing as a profession 
and then it just filters right down into every single classroom. And again, it's game over then. It's just, it's game over. Again, you heard the board president, and looking at her at face value, you would say to yourself, maybe she's a conservative. Maybe she's a conservative-minded individual who understands all of the degeneracy and everything that's going on. Not so. Not so. This is an individual, again, who just openly admitted that she wants everybody represented, quote-unquote, in particular when it comes to the literature audit, to make sure that every gay person can see themselves in books and every refugee can see themselves in books. This is insane. It's complete insanity. So I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to end with this because this ties in and it's a subject you've heard me bring up numerous times and it proves the brainwashing is 100% real regarding a variety of subjects within education. This, ladies and gentlemen, has to do with the fake Nashville shooting. The tranny festo, as, as it's been coined, and as I'm certainly going to call it, the so-called manifesto from the tranny, which doesn't exist, of course, um, is now not being released by the FBI, even though they've said they want it released and they're going to release it so everybody be, be on the lookout. And you can't make this up, but now the Covenant School has filed a motion to keep the FBI from releasing a manifesto. Translation. The school and the FBI were in on it. They made up the entire thing. No one died. So they're filing a motion to keep the FBI, who was also in on it, from releasing a manifesto that doesn't exist. That's it. This is from Fox 17 Nashville. The debate over releasing the writings of the Covenant School mass shooter continues to be waged in public discourse among politicians, and in the courts. On Monday, lawyers for the Covenant School filed a motion to intervene in lawsuits calling for the writings of shooter Audrey Hale to be released. Over the last few weeks, the National Police Association and the Tennessee Firearms Association have each filed suits against the city calling on the writings to be released publicly. That's all what's happened in the past. Now what they're saying, and you know exactly the line, because you're smart people and you can figure it out. So I'll ask you before I actually read it. What do you think the Covenant School has used as an excuse to keep this fake manifesto from being read by anybody in the public? What excuse do you think they're using? If you said their own safety, security, or emotional well-being, you would be correct. They said, quote, the information could cause security and safety issues for the school, its employees, and students. And it says that the motion adds the records sought in the lawsuit calling for the release may contain sensitive information owned by the school, such as schematics of the facility and the confidential information of employees and students. Quote, the disposition of this action may impair or impede its ability to protect its interests and the privacy of its employees and students. 
again, you know, this has been a tough time for all of us, and we don't want to rehash all the emotional situations and relive that horrific day. It's fake. The whole thing's fake. And all of this back and forth on a tranny festo, and is it going to be released, and isn't it? The whole thing's fake. It's fake. Do you actually believe that you could walk into that Columbus school board and explain anything to them about something like this and have them believe you? No. (laughs) The answer is no. They're too far gone. They're too far gone. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a perfect example of the Matrix. This is it. There is the real world and the Matrix. And thank God, if you're listening to this show, you live in the real world. Only by the grace of God do we live in the real world. And thank God for it, because these people are lost. They're lost. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend. I will catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.